So good to see you all, and it's a beautiful day, but it is hot, isn't it? But uh, we're not going to complain because we know that's all going to change before we know it, before we want it to, right? And Nicole will be back on us, but uh, well, it's good to be here and good to be in the house of the Lord. Let's all stand up for an opening prayer. Father in heaven, I come to you this morning in Jesus' name, Lord. Thank you for your love, your goodness. Thank you for health and strength this morning. Thank you that we can be gathered together in this way, Lord, as the believers have done for centuries, um, to remember what you have done, Lord, to remember your love and to, to hear the gospel, Lord Jesus, to worship you in song, to fellowship together, God, to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be among us. I pray that you would be glorified and that uh, we would be drawn closer to you. God, thank you for each one that's here. I just pray that you would bless our time. I pray that, um, that Lord, you would just be lifted high. I pray for those who aren't here. Um, I pray that you would be with them and, and bless whatever they're doing, Lord. And, and um, God, I just pray for uh, every part of the service this morning, God, that, that your spirit would would flow through us, Lord, and that um, that you would just do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I don't know what you've come to do, but I've come to praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, let's open up by singing, Here I Am to Worship.
privilege we have to say you are my God and when he is that for you he becomes altogether lovely altogether worthy and altogether wonderful brings purpose and meaning to life as such an awesome privilege uh, to call him our God for thou O Lord art high above all the earth thou art exalted far above all gods for thou O Lord art high above all the earth thou art exalted far above all
his birthday today. And I would like to see you in Austin to Everybody ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Thank you all. Made it another year. Let's sing, I want to know you. I've tried in vain a thousand ways my fears to quell, my hopes to raise. But what I need, your word has said, is ever only Jesus. You died, you live, you reign, you plead. There's love in all your words and deeds. This weary heart finds all it needs. Is trade my treasures and all my rewards Jesus to know you then know you more though some should curse me for your name I have no You stand with me for all my days, my ever only Jesus. I want to know you, Jesus my Lord, King of the heavens, King of my soul. Jesus, my Lord, 
have anything to share. Now let's sing My Faith Has Found a Resting Place.
me. We'll do one more song. The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. The King of Love, My Shepherd Is, Whose goodness faileth never, I nothing lack it by and with, Off I stray. Wait, hang on. Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth. And where the verdant pastures grow, never failing, ruler of my heart, everlasting. off I stray, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulders gently lay, and home rejoicing brought me. In death's dark veil I fear no ill, with thee dear Lord beside me. Rod and staff, my comfort still. Thy cross before to guide me. Never failing, ruler of my heart, everlasting. Lover of my soul on the mountain high, or in the valley low, the king of love, my shepherd is. The King of Love, my Shepherd is. Oh, 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 o
never failing ruler of my heart everlasting lover of my soul on the mountain high or in the valley low the king of love my shepherd is the king of my shepherd is never failing ruler of my heart everlasting lover of my soul on the mountain high or in the valley low the king of love my shepherd is the king of love my shepherd is and so through all the length of days Thy goodness faileth never Good shepherd, may I sing your praise Within your house forever Within your house forever Amen. I'll turn the close with that. And um, Brother Dave, I'll turn the time over to you. Eighteen ten, for where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. James five sixteen, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. First Thessalonians five sixteen, seventeen and eighteen, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So I'm going to tell you guys a story. Jaden, please sit down. Jaden, now. Thank you. I'm going to tell you guys a story about a guy who was 17 years old, and he became a Christian. He asked Jesus to be the ruler of his life, and he was so excited. And around that same time, he was very sick. And he went to the doctor, and the doctors told him, uh, his mom and dad, that he only had five years left to live. And his parents were really upset. And he knew he was sick, but he didn't quite know how bad it was. But he wasn't worried because he had Jesus in his life, and he knew that no matter what happened to him, if he died, he'd go to heaven and be with Jesus. So he thought he would be fine. He was all good. So his parents told one of their neighbors, and that neighbor um, went to youth at church with this young man. So he got together all the youth in their neighborhood, and they had prayer meetings for this guy 
that he, they were praying and praying and praying that he would be healed. And the years passed and nothing happened. He didn't die. And um, when he was about 36, he finally found out he was supposed to die when he was 22 and he was still alive. So he went to the doctors and they looked him all over and they said, yes, you were really sick. You were supposed to die, but we don't know why you didn't and it's gone. The sickness is gone. So all the youth that got together and prayed for him, God listened to their prayers and they healed this man. And because they healed, he, God healed this young man, he went on to have seven children, and I think he currently has 13 grandchildren, and his name is Tom Olson, and he is my dad. So God listens to the prayers of his people when they get together and they pray. He doesn't always answer it the way we want him to, but God does listen to our prayers, and he answers them. All right, you guys can go back. Thank you. Thank you, Jason and Heidi, for uh, sharing the praise team this morning, and uh, Maggie for sharing that. that. God is truly amazing. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we don't understand. God has completely different plans than what we do at times. So anyway, uh, I think we'll, for, we'll just take a little break, five, ten-minute break or whatever. So if you want to coffee, tea, whatever, use restroom. We'll do that now. And then uh, Anthony will be sharing with us today uh, with the, the, uh, the word with us. And I guess just keep in mind, keeping your prayers for uh, Phil as he's over in Norway. And uh, Ali and Christy as well as they travel. And I think Carrie's aren't here today either. So um, I'm not sure where they're at, maybe South Colorado. But anyway, uh, yeah, you're dismissed. And we'll take a quick quick break. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this very moment. We thank you for your goodness and for your love. Lord, I just pray a special blessing on Anthony. Lord, I just pray you give him words to speak, uh, give him uh, peace in his heart, and Lord, I just pray that you would use him and give him words to speak, and just pray that we could all have open hearts and minds, hear from your word, and be an encouraged and be a blessing. Lord, just continue to be with us, and we ask this all in Christ's name, amen. Bless you. <laughs> so when when I speak, I I generally try to speak on something that uh, comes out of, or at least there's some catalyst of my uh, 
life or the experience that I have in life, and uh, that usually translates in into a word that the Lord gives me. And so this week that was, it just didn't seem to be happening, and my uh, Friday evening, I think it was Friday afternoon, my wife asked me if what I'm going to speak on, I have absolutely no clue, I, I really don't know where this is going yet. But then uh, Saturday morning came along, and uh, I have this little project going on in, in my house. We're uh, adding a uh, bathroom to our basement, and so I've been uh, working on that. I had uh, Merv over earlier in the week to frame up the walls for me, and Got the electrician in on Thursday to uh, do all the wiring for me, and that all that all went smoothly. And and yesterday morning I had an appointment with a plumber to come on in and uh, give me a quote to to do the rough in plumbing and and uh, make sure that that's done right. A lot of the work I can do myself, but uh, those few things I I want it done professionally so that they're done right. So he took a look at it and he gave me a quote and I nearly fainted. It was about three times as much as what I was expecting this quote to be. And I did some more research then, which I probably should have done before, and found out, well, you know what, he's not really that far off on his prices. And so I got to thinking, well, you know, that uh, it brought a verse to mind. I'm like, well, there's... There's a verse in the Bible somewhere that talks about uh, the man that built or decided to build a tower and didn't count the cost first and, and uh, says, well, you're going to kind of be a laughing stock if you do that. And so I got to looking at that, at that verse. Now, thankfully, in, in my case, it doesn't have to be uh, like the tower where they put in the foundation and then it had to stop there because the guy didn't have enough money. Uh, thankfully, I can still I can still do the project. I just didn't put the forethought into it that I probably should have. But what happens is that that so often translates into our Christian life, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And, and using that text, Luke 14, verses 25 through 33, is that uh, story, and. I'd like to talk about that a little bit this morning, of, of counting the cost of discipleship, which is ultimately what he's, what he's talking about there. So often in, in evangelical settings, there's often a, a push for you know, salvation, getting people converted and and uh, you know, saying a prayer, and that's that's not wrong in and of itself. That it's your your Christian life has to start somewhere. But so many times, that is where the emphasis is, and there is not much that comes after that. It is okay. Say this prayer. You're saved now. You're fine, and then. There's not so much teaching on, okay, what comes after? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And people then become 
discouraged and give up and whatever the case may be. But let's, let's read these verses, Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one that is coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up his own possessions, give up all his own possessions. So the story of the tower there. Now, if uh, six months down the road, I uh, would have Merv over to my place and he'd still see that this project is where he left off with the framing and a little bit of electrical done, he'd probably look at me a little funny and say, what's going on here? This wasn't that big of a deal. What, you know, why, why didn't you finish the project? Oh, wait a minute. Well, okay, the plumber was too expensive. I couldn't afford it. Couldn't go any farther. Well, I'd kind of be a laughing stock there. But, you know, that's, that's often the way it, uh, the way it works in, in our spiritual lives. We... People begin and yet somehow are not able to finish. Galatians uh, 3, I believe it is, speaks of that. Um, Galatians 3, starting at verse 1, uh, Paul speaking to the Galatians here. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish to have begun in the Spirit and are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works of miracles among you do it by works of the law? or by hearing of faith. So it is clearly possible. It happened with the Galatians that they started out in, in the Spirit, had a good beginning. It, all was, it was great. But somehow they reverted back to keeping the law. They, they didn't want to continue on for whatever reason, continue on in the spirit. So they were like that person that was building the tower that they they started. They started out right and it's 
Okay, well, it's, it's, it's just too difficult to live in the Spirit. It's, easy, it's easier to go back to the law. And I've, I've seen that happen many times. I'm sure many of you have seen that happen in, in lives of, of people you know and in churches where there's, where there's a fire that burns in people's lives and in the church, in a congregation, in, in a community, and somehow they go so far and, and it, uh, it comes up to a point that it's like, okay, well, we can't quite go farther. We can't quite trust God to, to take us farther. Let's be satisfied with where we're at. Let's be satisfied with the status quo here. And that's, that's a temptation, I believe, for everybody and for every church to become complacent and not to follow on in what God has started in the work of the Spirit in our lives. So, who can, who can be a disciple? Let's, let, let's start there. What, what, what does it mean to be, what does it mean to be a disciple? Let me ask that question. We hear, we hear all these terms thrown around all the time, you know, whatever, getting saved, being filled with the Spirit, being a disciple, and some of them can kind of become these catch words and phrases that somewhat lose their meaning. But when you hear being a disciple of Jesus Christ, what does it mean to you? I, want, I don't know if there's any seriously wrong answers, but I, I want to hear from you. What, what do you think of when you hear being a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does that mean in your life? Anyone? What was that? Follower. Follower? Okay. A student. A student. Okay. He's our he's our master. All good all good uh, definitions. Anyone else? What, what does it mean to you to be a disciple? How does how does being a disciple, or is it different from you making that initial commitment? To follow Jesus. Is there a difference in that in your life? There again, I don't know if that's a wrong, if there's a right or wrong answer to that. Your individual experience may be different. Is that something that's different in your life? Is there, is there more to it to being a disciple of Jesus Christ than to just initially being saved and filled with his spirit? What do you think? Okay. Not just being hearers, but doers. Absolutely. That's that's a very big one. Steve, you had something? Yeah. I Okay. And it, that has to do with, with our mindset, which, which is ultimately, that's, I believe, where, where discipleship starts. Not discipleship is action as well. But it, it starts with our mindset and understanding uh, who we are serving. So, who can be a disciple? Well, let's let's back up to uh, a different parable, just the verses previous to the ones I read in Luke chapter 14. We have we have the parable of the feast that was given. Probably a, a familiar story to uh, many of you. Let me read that for you. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16. But he said unto him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave 
to say to those that were invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry, and he said to his slave, Go at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, Go into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of the men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Sometimes we, we think that being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus, and there may be different applications of this parable, but this is the one I'm uh, using here for uh, the uh, subject today. But we, we tend to think, or I have anyway in, in times past, you know, being, being a disciple, you know, it's, it's being, you're up on some other level, that's, that's the next level up here, and, and now I'm, you know, yeah, I got, I got saved, now I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe some truth to that, but it's not about levels. And so you see, in, in the parable, Jesus extending an invitation to everybody. There was no prerequisites, there was no, you have to come up to a certain level to be invited into this in-group. It was the poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled, the homeless, whatever. It was what society would deem as the lowest people in society. So there is no exclusion. So let's, let's start there. there. There is no exclusion from this call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But somehow, we tend to think, or we can fall into the trap of the first people in this, in this parable, where, okay, yeah, I'm kind of, the, kind of the in group here, I'm invited to this big feast, so I think I was, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm serving God, but, but then I'm asked to take this step farther, and then we come up with excuses. Whether it's material things, oh God, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got this job to do, it's hindering me from, from totally being your disciple. I've, I, I have this agenda, I have that agenda. Um, we've, we've all come up with those excuses, you know, I've... I, I have this work to do. I've, I've bought this. I have this commitment. Hey, I'm, I'm even married. I have a wife. I mean, you know, how many of you men have used that excuse as an excuse? Well, you know, my wife. My wife this, my wife that. How many of you young guys would like to use that as, as an excuse? It's not a good excuse. <laughs> um... So which group would you rather be in? Which one is 
which one actually made it to the feast, which one actually got to experience that fellowship. Well, it's clearly the, the second group, the ones that were considered the lowest of society. So, anyone, that is anyone that can be, anyone can be a disciple. There's no, there's no limitations on that. You don't have to prove yourself in, in some way first. Jesus says, come, come fellowship with me, come be one with me. You can be my disciple. But back to the question of what is a disciple? Um, I, I think all the, the answers were good and were correct. It is, it is about following Jesus. It's about that commitment. It's about really believing in your mission of following Christ in your day-to-day life. Several years ago, and I'm guessing these numbers have gotten worse, but there was a, a, a poll done of people that considered themselves evangelical Christians. And only 10%, they were asked if they believed that they were a deeply committed Christian, which is what I would uh, consider a disciple, and only 10% self-identified as being deeply committed, and, and in that poll, that being deeply committed was defined as knowing the basic teachings of Jesus and having them actually make a difference in your life, or that you act differently because of these teachings of Jesus. Only 10% of professing evangelical Christians said they were deeply committed. That to me was a bit shocking in, in a, uh, to come up with that in a poll of, of people that were actually admitting that for themselves. Well then, how, how do you become a disciple. If there's been this huge disconnect in society in general, in, in American society and other places as well, if there's been this disconnect of being a Christian versus being committed to deeply follow Christ, how, how do we get there? How do we bridge that gap? Because, like I said, we, you know, we're, we're taught we're taught salvation and many, many churches and youth groups and camps, whatever the case may be, they'll focus on, you know, saying the prayer, asking Jesus into your heart. And that's good. That's fine in its, its place. But how do we get to the, from that point to being deeply committed to the cause of Christ? And it's not some theory. There, there has to be a practical way to work this out. I hear a lot of people that are a lot deeper thinkers than what I am come up with all these theories of how this is supposed to work. But yet somehow, while the theory may be correct, so often it's only a theory and it, and it doesn't 
translate in personal life. So how do we become a disciple? How do we bridge that gap there? Well, the beginning of the, the, the first verses that, that I read there, it actually gave a number of points on how to do this, and, it's, and it sounds tough. It's, those were some difficult words there. In verse 26, Luke chapter 14, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, clearly, Jesus is not teaching that we physically hate people. There's, you you take, take Scripture in its entirety, Jesus taught that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer, essentially. So he's clearly not talking about that kind of hate. Um, I think it's the New Living Translation. Let me, let me see if I can pull that up here real quick. The uh, paraphrase that I liked how it... I liked how it said it there. It says... If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. So, is your commitment to Jesus, to following Jesus at all costs, is that so strong that, by comparison, it makes all your other relationships look a lot closer to Hatred than to the commitment that you have to following Jesus. I thought that was that was a good analogy, and and there may be places where that breaks down, but but I like the analogy. Um, <clears throat> Francis Schaeffer, who was a theologian and teacher, writer, um, a lot of the last century, he was. Uh, he was raised in a non-Christian home, and he was born. He got born again, was saved, and he was seriously uh, wanting to follow Christ. And as a young man, I'm not. I'm not sure how old he was, but you know, probably in his late teens, early twenties, somewhere along those lines. He believed that God was calling him to go. To Bible college and to follow him that way and to really study the word in depth in that way and his father was not a Christian at that time some years later his, his father did become a Christian because of Francis' testimony but at that time he was not and, and he basically at that point said look son you're going to have to decide I think he wanted him to go to business school or some type of thing like that and and uh, he said you you know you're going to have to decide you're going to decide whether you're going to be my son or a follower of this Jesus and and Francis said well 
I need to, uh, I'm, I'm going to need to pray about that for a while yet. And he got by himself and he, he just wept bitterly and prayed and sought the Lord about this. And, and uh, now, the, what, what he did then kind of as, as a sign, I don't know that I'd really recommend, but it, uh, it was where he was at. It worked, it worked for him, but he, uh, he had a, a coin or a quarter or something he said, Lord, if, if, you, if you want me to go to Bible college, I'm going to flip this coin and you let it be heads. And, well, it was heads. And that wasn't quite enough. And he said, well, Lord, let it, I'm going to flip it again. Let it be tails. And it was tails. He said, well, you know, one more time, Lord. He was a real Gideon, I guess. Uh, he uh, flipped the coin again and he said, let it be heads. And, and it was. And, and so he went to his father and he said, look, he said, I, I have to go to Bible college. God is absolutely calling me to do that without a shadow of a doubt. And his, his father got angry, but then he, he relented a bit. And he was like, okay, well, I'll pay for your first year. And uh, stormed out the door. So he did get to go to Bible college. But, but he, he drew that line, which uh, that was the point of, of the story, that he believed fully that God was asking him to do this as a step in following him and there was nothing that was going to come in the way of, of him following Christ. And that ultimately needs to be the top priority in any person's life and anyone that wants to be a disciple is to not be bound by fear of man, whatever whatever your friends, your relatives, your family, whatever whatever they may think, whatever they may say about you. That's and that's probably one of the hardest things to do. And that's, but that is the point, I believe, that is, is crucial to taking that next step, if you will, after committing your life to following Christ and saying, God, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if I'm misunderstood. It doesn't matter if I'm laughed at. It doesn't matter if I'm ridiculed. Now... You know, there, there are plenty of people out, th- out there that will use that as cover and say, oh, well, you know, God's telling me to do this. I'm going to go do it no matter what you think. Um, I'm, not, I'm not condoning that. That I, I believe you can tell pretty quickly the spirit behind that kind of thing versus somebody all out deciding that they're going to follow Christ no matter what the cost. The next thing he says is if anyone comes to me, this is in verse 26 now of Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me, oh, that was where I was at before. Verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross cannot be not, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, there's another one of those catchphrases. What does it mean to carry your cross? 
Now, in, in those days, in the Roman Empire, crucifixion was a very real thing. It is how they dealt with dissenters. It's how they dealt with criminals. Um, many people, it's, crucifixion was a pretty big thing. They would, when they would come take over a city in their wars and, and that kind of thing, they would frequently take all the military-aged men and take them out and crucify them. It was, it was horrific. So this, this, was, this was a real thing. This was something that they could relate to. And I think sometimes for us, it's, we're so far removed from that, other than the story of Jesus dying on the cross, it's, it doesn't... I think sometimes it does not register with us totally. And we have, we have these ideas of what it is that's a cross to bear, you know. Well, you know, I have someone that's just, uh, you know, just can't stand me and doesn't, can't get along with me, doesn't like me. Oh, well, it's just my cross to bear, you know. Or I have this financial position in life. Oh, I have a cross to bear. Now, that's, that's not a cross. It might be a thorn in the flesh, but that's not a cross. That's an irritant. It's not, it's not death. The cross was an instrument of torture and death. It wasn't just a simple irritant. So I think sometimes what we equate to be our cross is a little bit more of a thorn, if you will. And there's a pretty big difference between the two. And that's, that's not to diminish those, those situations, but sometimes we can kind of feel self-righteous or self-fulfilled by thinking, well, well, I'm going to carry this cross, you know, wow, this is a tough situation, you know, it's, this is a real cross for me. No, it's probably not. Um, but to me, there again, it's more of an attitude that you have. Now, back in, in the time when, when this was written, there were, there were other people, there were other believers um, there were other disciples that were crucified. So this was, this was a real thing. They weren't all crucified. It was just several of them. But there were, there were plenty of people that were. So th- this, was, this was a very real thing to them. But I believe what he was saying was, you've got to have that mindset that you are willing to give up everything. You're willing to give your life for this. And there are plenty of places in the world today, I mean, we are, as hard as we think we have it here in the U.S. sometimes, and our liberties being infringed and that kind of thing, and and I'm all for liberty as much as the next guy, but trust me, we still probably have it better than anywhere else on the planet. There are plenty of people that are still literally giving their lives for Christ, whether it's... um, being uh, cast out of uh, Muslim and, and Hindu tribes, if you will, in India and other places, or whether it's the underground church in communist China. There are plenty of people that are literally giving their lives for Christ. Read the voice of the martyrs. It's, it's still happening. So it may seem somewhat remote to us, but we can still have that mindset is what we're doing for Christ is the way that we're approaching 
our life or our commitment to Christ such as, yes, I'm willing to pick up that cross, carry it to Golgotha, and be nailed to that cross. Is that, is that our mindset in how we follow Christ? I think the majority, probably safe to say the majority of, of Christianity today is like the majority of people that follow Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't any different back in those days. The far majority of the, the people that followed Jesus followed him for the loaves and the fishes and the miracles. That's why they were following him. Now, he allowed them to follow him, but at some point they all turned away. But that seems to be the case a lot in, in especially American Christianity, that we follow Christ for what we can get, for how much he can bless us. And he does bless us. He blesses us abundantly. But is that why we're following Christ? Is that our mindset that we're in it for the loaves and the fishes? Or are we in it to follow him to the cross? And there were very few that were willing to do that for Jesus. I think there are very few that are willing to do that today. The next thing he says there is to give up all your possessions. Well, that's equally hard, especially in, a, uh, in our American capitalist society. And, and all of us, to some degree or another, have a lot of possessions. Now, uh, we may not feel that we have a lot, and some of us it may be uh, a lot less than others, at least by our scale of comparison, but... There again, compared to, to many others in the world, we have, we have a lot. We are extremely blessed. In, uh, Matthew, well, the, the story is in, is in Matthew 6 and in Luke 16, where he talks about not being able to serve God and mammon, not being able to serve God and money we have a choice now in those places he wasn't saying that money is wrong um, there are as uh, the verse was read last Sunday Jason read it along in, in the sermon he gave last Sunday about God giving us all things to enjoy God does do that he does give us a lot of things to enjoy and to use for his pleasure, if you will. But he doesn't call us to this materialistic lifestyle. So often we, we have this lifestyle that we have pictured, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm no different. I have my, what I think would be my ideal way to you know, raise my family and you know, have a few acres or have a little farm or whatever. I, got, I have this picture of what I think would be ideal and we all do and that's not wrong but is what you're doing in your life are you simply taking Jesus and making him or trying to fit him into and make him a part of that materialistic lifestyle or are you having him as the centerpiece and what you have is built around that it's it's a huge huge difference The story is told of, uh, I forget, 
I think Juan Carlos was the name of the guy that actually told this story. Let me see if I can pull it up here. I thought I had it here. I'm not seeing it now all of a sudden, but I, th I think I have the, the basics of it. But he, he came up with, with this parable of someone wanting to buy a pearl or you know, a diamond, something incredibly expensive. And it illustrates how that you know, life, the pearl being Jesus Christ, how you know, anyone can do this. So he comes to this merchant and says, hey, I, I like this, I want this, can I buy it? And the merchant says, yes, anybody can buy it. You certainly can buy it. Well, it looks really expensive. Well, yeah, you can buy it. How much do you have? Well, I have uh, $10,000 in my bank account. Okay, give me the $10,000. You have anything else? Well, I have my house, but I mean, I got to have a place to sleep tonight. I said, well, give me your house. Well, where am I going to sleep? Am I, am I supposed to sleep in my car? What, you have a car too? Well, I need that too if you want this diamond. Okay, well, how am I going to explain this to my wife? Oh, you have a wife too? I need your wife. Well, what about my kids? Oh, okay, well, I need that too. And he goes on down the list and says, I need it all. You can have this, but then here, here are all these things. They're mine, but you can have them for a time. But you have to be prepared to give them up when I want them. And I believe that's the way God looks at us with the possessions he gives us. He wants to have that mind, us to have that mindset that none of these things are ours. He gives them to us, whether it's our house, whether it's our family, our vehicles, everything that we have, do we have that mindset that that belongs to Jesus no matter what and he can claim that any time that he wants? If it's something that you're hanging on to or yourself, that's going to be a stumbling block in being a disciple. Everything is the Lord's. It's, it's not as it was in, in the Old Testament. We were, the law said, give 10%. 10% is God's. Make sure you give that to him. They were, I mean, you could get killed in some circumstances for not following that. I was, they were very emphatic about that. 10% is God's. What God asks of us today to be his disciple is a whole lot more than 10%. And it's so much easier to say, okay, to have that mindset and say, well, okay, God, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going to keep the lion's share to myself over here. That's going to be mine. That's giving 10%. God says, I want it all. 
But yet, he graciously gives us these things to these things to enjoy. So how does that affect our life then on, on a daily level? Going back to my, to my plumber story, uh, the, the plumber that I got this quote from, he actually just lives uh, three houses down from me on, on the street. He works for a very reputable plumbing company and he was giving me this bid to do, this, to do a job you know, on the side on the weekends. I just moved into our neighborhood maybe six months ago or something like that. And I was kind of battling with that, uh, looking at these prices he gave me. Come on. Got to be able to do it for a little bit less than that. Wasn't planning on spending that much money. And God just told me, tell him to do it. You give him that money. Because, you know, perhaps he's, he's looking for side work. Maybe he has an extra bill that he needs to pay. Maybe there's unexpected expenses that he has after just moving into the neighborhood. God said, it's, it's mine anyway. Give it to him. Not the easiest thing in, in, in the world to do. And like I said, I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting ripped off or anything like that. It was just something that I wasn't expecting. But those are the things that I believe how God wants us to approach these things in our life, understanding that what he gives us is his, and he can give us direction in the smallest areas like that. I mean, that's, that, uh, that deal with the plumber is one of the smaller things I have going on in my life right now. It's not that big of a deal, but God still has interest in those smallest things in our life when he calls us to be our disciple he has interest in those small things in life so how do we how do we get to that point these things are all it's something we grow in. It's something we walk in. I'm not there. Trust me. I, I see so many areas in in each one of these in each one of these uh, three things to in being a disciple. How much more I need to grow in each area. It's not about are you there? Are you doing that perfectly? That's part part of being a disciple is is learning is growing. If you were already there, if you were on that pinnacle, if you will, on the same level of Jesus Christ, well, then you wouldn't have to be his disciple. It would be kind of a moot point. There wouldn't be, wouldn't be a necessity to be a disciple if there was not room for growth. That's what being a disciple is all about, is, is learning, growing, following. So don't be discouraged in that. That's, that's what it's all about. It's not about... Being at that perfect spot, it's about the following. Having the faith in God that he will lead you and he will show you these little things in life and that you will be able to follow. And that he will give you his spirit to guide you in these ways. It's not about, it's not about the law, it's not about the giving 10%. It's not about 
all other kinds of little works that we can come up with. It's about following his spirit in all these little things in life. There's nothing too insignificant in your life that God does not want a part of. So that's, that's my prayer. And I hope it's the prayer for each one of us going forward. It's just to, to ask the Lord, how can I do these things? How can I be that disciple? How can I hate my family and friends as it were? How can I carry my cross? And how can I surrender all my possessions to you? He will show you from day to day. won't show you everything at once. Still hasn't shown me everything, I'm sure of that. But if that's our sincere prayer, he will give us a step-by-step walk with him. And that's ultimately what it means to be a disciple. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for sharing that. It's been a very uh, challenge for me as well. Just kind of a reminder again is what is a true disciple? And uh, God doesn't want just our 10%. He wants our all. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times, so many times, especially here in America, and maybe it's just humans all across the universe, but we get hung up so many times in like in our material things. And I thought about that kind of in comparison with our Christian life. Sometimes we always want what the big dogs got, so to speak, you know. We want like we want to be like a pro basketball player, football player. But so many times we don't want to take the cost what it get takes to get there. And so and I just thinking about that in my in my walk too, my spiritual life, am I willing to sacrifice or be willing to lay aside to count the cost of what it takes to be a true follower of Christ. Thank you so much, uh, Anthony, for that. Um, I think I'll just open it up real briefly. If someone has something you'd like to share, uh, just feel free. suffering with Christ, which could mean abounds, so our consolation of Jesus Christ also abounds, so our suffering will be related to like bearing our cross, right? The more we give up for him, we suffer. Anytime we give up something that's our will or something, our possessions or whatever it is, it causes to, you know, and that's good. It's good for the, that, right? That part that needs to be crucified with Christ. Showed him he was going to suffer a lot for his namesake, but he also had you know, a great, great reward of being so close to him.
right? And you know, this is a, there are different, I guess in levels there are, you know, God doesn't call each person to like get beaten and pers- you know, persecuted for them, but definitely. But then also uh, I was thinking about like, I thought a lot about that, like God um, hating, hating, you know, everything. Yeah, our own life also says can't be our disciple. Yeah, we're supposed to love our neighbors ourselves, right? So it seems to be this thing. I thought like with he says, um, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, right? And so I thought, I thought a lot about it. Okay, like, well, we know God isn't hating, you know, but there just seems like there's this, there's like he loved. His love is spread out to all people, but there's a, there is a, maybe another le- level of love, kind of love. He loves especially those that love him, right? You love, you know, it's just like, I don't have as many children as lots of you, but, you know, you love all your children. Relationship of deeper love when it's returned, it's received and returned, right? That, that, that special intimacy closer with God is is there for the more we forgive, for the more we are willing to give up our life for Him. Thank you. All right, looks like you've got the chicken on the grill there so anyway uh, it might be just a little bit i'm not sure so anyway for y'all rising we'll have the uh, benediction and the blessing on the new meal so heavenly father we thank you again and praise you for who you are you're an almighty god lord that you want our relationship and lord i just pray that uh, that be desire for each of us that we can be a true disciple and a follower for you Lord, we thank you for the food that's prepared for us. I just pray you bless it to our bodies. Um, Lord, just be with us throughout this afternoon. Everything that we say and do be honor and glorified, glorifying to you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you can dismiss.